0: Jesus Christ is God. Let me try it again. Jesus Christ is God. One more time. Jesus Christ is God. Now here's the question. Did God die? I love the debate that's going on right now in in the audience. Did God die? Did Jesus die? Is Jesus God? Did God die? Logic 103 is prevailing right now. Let's talk a little bit about who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He's God, a very God, member of the Holy Trinity, who took on human flesh. We call that the incarnation. He literally was covered in flesh. God covered in flesh. The Bible says that He came and dwelt among us as a man. That God dwelt among us as a man. As a man He laughed, He cried, He got tired. There are times where I'm sure that He looked around and just wept over the hearts of people who were so far from understanding truth. And He came on a mission The Bible says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That is, people apart from God, he came to save. Now, it's interesting that it says of him in the book of Revelation that he is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So in the heart and the mind of God, Jesus Christ died before you were created. Because time is a creature word. We think about time, past, present, and future, but God dwells in the eternal now. So everything is present tense for God. So God, knowing that man would go the way of sin, that would choose to rebel against God, God had a provision before man had a problem. Can I tell you, God had a provision before man had a problem and nothing has changed. God still has a provision for you before you ever encounter a problem. God is God. God is looking out for you. The Bible says in the book of Jude, in one of the last two verses, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to cause you to stand upright in that day. Who's responsible? God is responsible to keep you From stumbling and he wants to present you holy before him. Let me give you a couple of thoughts here as we begin to put this in order. Here's the first one. God was not born or created, therefore he cannot die or cease to exist. I love it when third graders, they seem to be the best at this, ask you those deep theological questions. Where did God come from? You as a parent quickly change the subject, if you're smart. Where did God come from? And the best thing to do is that sometimes when they'll ask me those questions, I'll say, well, God came from no place because there was no place before God created a place. And they'll look at me and go, well, that makes sense, and they go on. God is, if there was, if God could be caused, we would say he's self-caused. And yet that does something with our mind, doesn't it? How does someone caused themself if they don't exist. So we have to say God always was. Who died on the cross? Jesus Christ died. God, the God-man. In his flesh, he died for our sins. He died as a man without sin for your sins and my sins. He was put in a grave according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose from the dead according to the scriptures on the third day and ever lives, the Bible says, to make intercession for us in heaven. He is God, a very God. God is eternal and not subject to time. God is eternal and not subject to time. The thing that we struggle with in life is time and space. How far can we go? How fast can we go? How much time do we have left? And the older you get, the reason that time seems to be moving faster for you is because you've used up a greater percentage of what you have to start with. Makes sense, right? Right? If I've only got 30% left, it seems like I've got to hurry up and get some things done. Now, let me just make a practical application. The older you are, the more you ought to live for Jesus, not the less. You have less time, less days to live for Jesus, be committed to him, be focused on the kingdom than you ever have before. It is no time to say, well, I used to. It is no time to stand in the background and say, I wonder what's going to happen. Do you know the Bible says there is laid up for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Where does that come from? It comes from our investment in God's kingdom. The way that we live out our life on a daily basis as a direct result in that eternal weight, that eternal kingdom that we're one day going to inherit. And all the struggles you go through now, all the church the, the struggles the church as the body of Christ goes through, it is just preparing us for our eternal weight of glory one day when we will receive and we will sit with him on his throne, Revelation tells us, in glory. God is all-powerful and cannot be defeated. God is all-powerful and cannot be defeated. That's why the Bible says, if God is with you, what can really be against you? If God is with you, what can be against you? We trust in the Lord. Now, all through history, men have either been trying to deny God, explain God, somehow make excuses for God. If you go back a little bit in the 19th century, there are a couple of philosophers that came along. A guy by the name of Nietzsche and Hegel, these guys came along and said, yes, God is dead. It was picked up later in a a 1963 edition of Time magazine where a philosopher by the name of Altizer came along and he said, oh yes, uh, God is dead. I prefer to get my information from a preacher who went to be with God in 2000, but he's one of my favorite ones, S.M. Lockridge. This is what he said. Nietzsche said, God is dead. Well, if God is dead, who killed him? What coroner examined the body? What funeral home carried that funeral? Who preached the eulogy? And why wasn't I invited? Because I am the next of kin. No, God's not dead. I talked to him this morning. Amen? God is not dead. I talked to him this morning. Another Russian novelist who died fairly prematurely because of of his stand he took and some positions he took in in Russia, he said this, If God does not exist, then everything is permitted. If God does not exist, then everything is permitted. If there is no God, then where are the rules? Society determines the rules. That's what the atheists would tell us. If that's true, then what if society chooses rules that we think are amoral or immoral? Would that make them right? Would that make them good? You see, everything in life has to come down to, is there a standard of right and wrong? Is there any absolute truth in our world? Or are we just subjective creatures, a part of a primeval kind of movement that evolved into a human being? If that's all we are, we are most men to be pitied altogether. Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Titus chapter 2. I uh, hope you bring your Bibles each week, either your iPad, your phone, or your uh, or old school leaf. All right? But look what it says here in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. He calls Jesus the grace, the grace has appeared. That what brings salvation to all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness, worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Why? Because this present age has everything to do with our personal happiness now and our eternity in terms of how we're positioned for the rest of our eternal life. You see, some people kind of operate like this. Well, you know, I'm, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven. If you stop there, you've missed the whole point of why Jesus came, it wasn't just to get you to heaven. It was to create this race of people that walked in the spirit of God, established God's kingdom here, were able to see great things happen, change lives and fulfill the mission that he left for us. It's more than that, much more than that. The Bible says in verse 13, looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about this passage, it refers to both appearings. The first appearing, when he came in the flesh. The second appearing, when he returns again, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, where the Bible says, We shall see him. He will come with the army of heaven. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that in a bit. So we're looking for that glorious appearing of our great God. What does scripture call Jesus? Our great God. I'm always curious by people who say, well, you know, I I don't think the Bible ever really says that Jesus is God. No, only about a hundred times. I mean, how many times do you need to hear it for it to be true? Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, and notice what it says, of who gave himself for you. He gave himself for you. You know why? Because you're not perfect. Have you figured that one out yet? Look at your neighbor, see if they're perfect. Just take a look at them right now. They look perfect to you? If you live with them, you know they're not. (laughs) He gave himself for you. You know why? Because sin breaks our heart. Because sin takes hope out of our life. Because sin opens the door for all kinds of things that just are self-destructive in their patterns in our life. He came and he gave himself for you, for me, for mankind, to redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. So why did he purify us? So we could be uniquely positioned as his children. That there's something special about being related to the Father. There's something very great about that. It's not a burden, it's a blessing zealous, zealous for good works. Let me talk to you about what we believe. Well, you see, what we believe is really powerful. If you stop and think about what are my belief systems, what do I really lock down and say, I believe this to be true? You see, what you believe about what God can do in your life is powerful. If I believe God is all-powerful and God is, loves me and God is interested in being involved in my life, that's powerful, that makes a big difference in my life. If you're not sure, well, I'm not sure God's for me, then trust me, you're not going to see the evidence of his movement in your life. Your beliefs will work for you or they'll work against you. They will drive you in the right direction. They'll drive you in the wrong direction. And all day long, you are reaffirming what you believe in the way that you think and the way that you talk to yourself. Have you ever talked to yourself? Anybody ever do any like self-talk? Like, how you doing, Phil? Doing good. I mean, I'm doing good. How, you, how do you look? I feel, I feel a little, little heavy today, but you know, uh, wear black. I mean, you know, we do that self-talk, right? Have you ever do the self-talk It says, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not sure God loves me. I'm not sure God's happy with me. Oh, I I think I've failed God or I've disappointed God. Let me tell you something. If God loved you when you did not have a relationship with him, how much more does he love you now that you're his son and his daughter? That's what Romans chapter 5 tells us. If Christ died for the ungodly, how much more now does he love us as his children? If he loved us when we were sinners, how much more does he love us now as saints? We need to to understand that we have to have the right belief system. The Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We have to raise up a generation that confronts darkness and makes a difference in our world, and it starts with the right mindset. It starts with thinking the right thoughts, building on those right thoughts, and then walking in the power of the Spirit of God. Do you know if the church, if all we're known for is doing good and acts of kindness, the world loves it and accepts it? That's what the church is supposed to do. They're supposed to keep their place, and they're supposed to feed some hungry people and put some clothes on them and all of that. That never changes the world. What changes the world, when you do that, and you walk in the Spirit, and you present the kingdom of God, and people see lives changed. I was just thrilled to see John. I don't know if you're here today, John, but John diagnosed with melanoma, and John is just miracle after miracle stepping in that, and I watched him in that 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 walk for Melanoma over in Fullerton the other day, and I saw him there, and I thought, you know, and he's wearing his bracelet that affirms uh, uh, the Scripture about the healing God that we have, and I thought, isn't that the way it's supposed to be that we see God working, and we see miracles, and people testify and say, I want to be a part of a miracle-working God. Well, let me remind you some basics that we need to remember about this miracle-working God. John chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, and the Word, and the Word dwelt with, was with God, and the Word was God. So who is the Word? The Word is God. Now drop down to John chapter 1 and verse 14, and look what the Scripture says. And the Word became flesh. So the Word in the beginning was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word did what? It took on flesh. It took on flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. When we saw the glory of Jesus, we said, you know what, that's not the glory of man, that's the glory of God. That's not like any other glory I've ever seen, that's the glory of God. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of truth. So those who lived in that day, they said, you know what, this is is God. This is a glory unlike anything we've ever seen before. Now let me take you to John, First John, chapter five, and verse seven, and look what it says: For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. That should not leave anybody in doubt about the Trinity. Let's look at it one more time: For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. What we believe about Jesus is critical in moving forward in our understanding. Because when you call on his name and you say, Jesus, get me out of this mess. You ever had one of those? I had one just the other day. I think I was going a little fast. I'm not sure, but I think I was. But I know my, you know, my speedometer is not quite right. And sometimes it peaks a little heavy on there and it's, it's just, I need to get it fixed. So I'm driving down the road, and all of a sudden, I see an honored policeman and his car to my left. The first thing I did is what? Slow down. You've been there. I slow down. The second thing I do is what? I pray. Oh, Jesus. I have kind of two prayers. One is, God, I hope I know this guy and he likes me the second one is, God, I just pray he was looking the other way and maybe I wasn't going as fast as I was. And I sat there and I thought, I just, man, I was intense prayer. You know, have you ever had those prayers where you're just intense to get out of a mess? Those are some serious things, aren't they? I mean, you're going deep with God. God, you promise him everything. God, I'll do anything. I'll go to church every week. I'll even stay awake. God, I'll I'll do whatever you want me to do. I might even give if I get pressured. I mean, God, get me out of this mess. And he just drove by me I don't know whether it's God or I was uninteresting but you see our God is great and God loves to hear even when we have those desperate prayers he loves that our God is the great and the only God Titus says this looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say, how do you look for Him? You look for Him in prophecy. You know, we're living in the fullness of days, the fullness of revelation, and the fullness of the Holy Spirit right now. You couldn't imagine a better day. What's happening right now in the Crimea, in the Ukraine with Russia is prophetic. Russia is on the move. Russia has not put 45,000 troops on the Ukraine border for no reason. If you know your scriptures, you know that in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and 39, it gives a little glimpse of the next big prophetic movement that's going to take place. And it's a war that will come in the nation of Israel, launched by Russia, which is identified as Gog and Magog, and a coalition of armies, which includes, by the way, Persia, new name is Iran. Tagarmah, which is Turkey, watch the map, see what's happening right now, you begin to see that God is allowing the movement of prophetic things to come in our day. When it says, looking to your blessed hope, you're saying, God, as I read the times, I don't know the day of your return, but I can certainly read the times and see something is happening. I need to be looking upward. I need to be remembering how to live my life because what I see is going on in my world today looking unto our blessed hope. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 14 through 16, it says we are to be blameless, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. How are we supposed to live our life? Blameless. Live it for Jesus. Live for God, which he will manifest in his own time, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power, amen. What we believe is important and we serve a living God and we need to keep our eye on what's going on in the pulse in our world and in our daily world. Because we're called to change the world. At birth, at birth, God wove into you an idea of greatness. And let me, let me illustrate that and show you what I mean by that. Have you ever noticed how quickly little children want to become superheroes? How quickly little girls want to be the princess, the Cinderella's of the world? And the only thing that beats that out of them is society, their friends or their parents. They dream of great things. Our little, our little uh, Crosby and Cruz 4 and 2 one's the Hulk, one's Spider-Man. No, they're not acting like it. They are the Hulk and Spider-Man. Talk to them. Who are you? I'm Spider-Man. He doesn't say, I'm pretending to be Spider-Man. I I am Spider-Man. I am the Hulk. And God put that in us. God puts something in us that's very unique, and he puts in us dreams and visions of doing great things for ourselves and for our, our fellow man and for the kingdom of God. And what we want to do is in the power of God, we want to release that greatness. I'm not talking about pride. I'm talking about the greatness to make an impact in our world and to do something significant. All of us love to, the idea of leaving a legacy for our families and, and making a difference in the world and knowing that we, we're here for a reason. Kids want to be superheroes. Well, i got news for you. So do adults. We might just have a Hulk, Spider-Man, Superman party, and everybody has to come on Sunday morning dressed up. What do you think? Yeah, it probably wouldn't work, but the two guys who would show up would be totally embarrassing, wouldn't they? Like, oh, no, I, we didn't mean it. You know, it's just kidding. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 13. Listen to what this says. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man, Now watch this. Hold that thought for just one second. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. The Lord shall go forth like a maddy man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. You know what? You know what have to do with zeal? You have to stir it up. You ever heard use this phrase? You got to get fired up about something? Well, we got to get fired up about something. We got to get fired up about God. We've got to make a difference, and it says here of God, he will stir up his zeal like a man of war. He will cry out, yes, he will shout aloud. God never talks soft except when he wants to get our attention. Have you ever noticed that? Still small voice. and Right now, there's a still small voice that speaks in your heart and says, I need to be stirred up. I need to have zeal for God. I need to be zealous for God. I need to have zeal for God. He shall prevail against his enemies. I was reading over numbers. Just take your Bible and and, uh, turn with me, and and I want to show you a couple of scriptures in here. And I was reading this just the other night, and I I emailed uh, our media team, and I said, can you please include this scripture in the slide because it's so powerful, and I saw it late, and I apologize for that, and most of the time I'm sending them in on Sunday morning even. I'm going, I just found this. This is so good. Are you ready? You got your Bibles open? Got a pen? You got to write it down? You will not remember this. Don't look at me like you're spiritual. You will not remember this. (laughs) Numbers chapter 11. Okay, Numbers chapter 11. Let me set up the story, then I'm going to read that scripture for you. Okay, here's the story. Moses has these 70 advisors. He's brought them together. It tells us here in verse 26 that the Spirit came upon them upon the 70, and then it says, when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, although they did not do so again. But two men remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them, and they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. Now watch this. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, This guy's the rat, right? He's going to come and squeal on, on Eldad and Medad. He says, he's told Moses that Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, the son of Nun. Now watch this. This is a Joshua that's going to pick up after Moses. Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid him. In other words... This guy comes back and says there's two guys over there and the Spirit of God is on them and they're speaking out for God and they're telling what God's up to and they come back and and Moses gets word of it and he says tell them to stop. Tell them to stop. And look what it says here in verse 29. For Moses said unto him, are you zealous for my sake? When I read that, God just kind of pierced my heart and said are you zealous for my sake? Let me ask you, are you zealous for God's sake? You're zealous for something. Are you zealous for God's sake? And then he goes on to say this. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord and the Lord would put his spirit upon them. You know what he's saying here? We're called to change the world, guys. It's what he's saying to Moses Moses is saying to Joshua, that's what Moses is saying to these others. We're called to change the world. We can't change the world by just sitting back and waiting to see what happens. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You may not feel chosen, you may not feel royal, but you are a holy nation a special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what you are. You're called by God, empowered by God. Deep down, you're a superhero. Deep, you say, I, I don't feel like, you don't have to feel like one, you just have to be one. When you start being one, you're, you'd be surprised how much the feeling will show up. Now, here's what I want you to do. Now, this is going to be hard for some of you, Okay, I want you to repeat after me. I am, I am. a superhero, a superhero. For, Jesus for Jesus Christ. Now we're just going to live that out. We're going to live that out in our life now. I'm going to make a difference in my world for Jesus Christ. I'm going to carry out those visions of greatness that God wove in me in every application I find. I will find a way wherever I am to speak the name of Jesus Christ. I will find a way. I will live in the Spirit of God. I will walk in the faithfulness of the kingdom of God. I will live that out in my daily life. Here's a couple of life applications for you. Number one, change your spiritual perspective. If your perspective has been over here, change it and get it aligned up to make a difference in the world. And then make a decision. Determine that you will be zealous for Jesus Christ. Determine, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to be zealous for Jesus Christ. I'm going to be zealous for Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together as I lead us in prayer. As we begin to pray right now, I'm going to ask you just to examine your own heart and say, God, what is it you're trying to do? What am I going to do with the days I have left? How am I going to make an impact? How am I going to be zealous for the Lord? Would you stir my heart right now, God? Just stir my heart for the kingdom. Stir it for the kingdom. Some of you may not know for certain if you're a Christian. You don't know if you've ever made that step of faith. I'm going to ask you right now, just to to pray with me a prayer, a simple prayer like this one. It can be your prayer. It's your, your faith response. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died. I believe that you rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. You say in your word that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, here's the promise, I will be saved. If that was your prayer in your heart right now, would you just thank him? Would you just say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me? Thank you for coming into my heart, Lord Jesus. If that was your prayer today, just going to ask you no one else, just ask you, would you just look this way? That was your prayer today. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, sir. God bless you. No one else. God bless you. The faithfulness of God is never ending. He leads us in a path of righteousness for his name's sake. You may walk through a valley of the shadow of death, but he will be with you. He will guide you. He will guard you in all that you do. We sing this song together we're going to give you an opportunity also to take communion you'll find tables in all four corners you'll also find a cross over here to my right where you can take and write your prayer request you can use that bulletin uh, form and just fill it out and put it right on that on the nails that are on that cross but this is a time for you to make some decisions for God and to make some commitments to God so we're just going to allow you the freedom to do that. If you want to come here to the front and pray, this altar is open for you. But let's worship the Lord.